AviationPros.com is the portal website for AMT, airport business, and ground support worldwide magazines. Visit daily for breaking news, industry blogs, and insightful articles from our magazine's editorial team. And don't forget to sign up for our publication's daily e-newsletters. It's all at AviationPros.com. In this episode of the Aviation Pros podcast series, Aviation and the Environment, I speak with Scott Morrissey, Senior Vice President of Sustainability for the Denver International Airport, for an extended and wide-ranging discussion on the airport's environmental goals and actions. Topics range from the water quality and preservation projects the airport is undertaking to the role an airport should be playing in their local community and its climate. Scott also walks us through the airport's environmental initiatives, both historically and recently released. To close the episode, we'll revisit a conversation from episode 40 of the Aviation Pros podcast on PFAS chemicals, or PFAS, a family of pollutants nicknamed Forever Chemicals. This brief snippet is only a part of an over half hour long conversation on the subject, and I strongly encourage you to listen to the full episode if you haven't, or revisit it if you have. A link to that episode, as well as our entire back catalog of podcasts, will be found in the show notes for this episode. Now, Enjoy my conversation with Scott Morrissey. Scott, thank you again for taking the time to chat with me this afternoon. Um, to to kick off our conversation, can you start by just giving our audience a little bit of um, background on yourself and what it is you do with the Denver International Airport? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thank you, Walker. So I, I've lived in Colorado now for about 16 years um, and was always just really excited about moving to Denver and, and living in Colorado for, for the same reason that many people are, you know, the ability to have unbridled access to the outdoors. Um, and I think that's really um, been a real um, driver of my career as well. Um, I really enjoy um, being outside, really enjoy hiking and trail running and all of those things. And um, I feel a real commitment to making sure that others and, you know, especially future generations have the opportunity to experience Colorado in the same sort of way. And so um, I worked for a brief period of time in the Denver um, uh, Budget and Management Office. Um, I then moved to the mayor's office in Denver for about five years, where I was the deputy director of the city's sustainability program as it existed back then. Um, then I worked in the Colorado Energy Office at the state level for about two years. And for the last eight years, I've been um, working on sustainability and environmental issues for Denver International Airport. Very good. And a perfect segue into my next question here. Um, you know, our conversation today is focusing on around these these new um, environmental initiatives the airport has um, has come up with. And and to set the stage for that, can you start by telling us um, just kind of what your main environmental concerns have been historically and, and how have those changed over time? Yeah, it's a really great question. I, I think ultimately, um, you know, when I talk to people about the work that I do, I'm I, I, I try to tell them that I think that um, doing sustainability at an airport is about the most exciting place that you can do it. Um, when you think about the size of our operation, you know, 69 million passengers going through our facility in 2019, you know, about 20 million square feet of facilities, 53 square miles, 
a 24-7, 365 operation, um, we really have some significant sustainability opportunities. And when you combine that with the commitment that we get from the DEN executive team and being a municipally owned airport by the city and county of Denver, um, from Mayor Hancock and the rest of the administration and city council, I feel like we've really hit that nexus of opportunity and a commitment to be a more sustainable organization. And so, you know, over the course of the last eight years that I've been at the airport, what we've really been focused on is how can we think through all of the different potential environmental risks associated with our operation? Uh, and then how do we develop plans to help to mitigate or reduce those risks? And one of the main ways that we do that is through a ISO 14001 certified environmental management system, which is really helpful for us because given that we have such a robust operation, it gives us an opportunity to have a strategic, comprehensive, consistent way to look at those environmental risks and try to find ways that, that again, we can be mitigating them in some way. So then what has your environmental plan been historically, and, and how do these new initiatives um, kind of change it or fit in with the existing plan? I, I think we think about it mostly as just taking the existing initiatives to the next level. Um, our focus areas haven't necessarily changed. I mean, we've always been focused on air, water, waste, um, uh, construction practices, um, working with our business partners, things like that. But what we feel like we have now is a new opportunity, you know, to think about where we need to be going as an organization, you know, not just to meet our organizational goals, not just to meet our citywide goals, but to think about the role that we play as a responsible community member in making sure that we are doing what is necessary for our region, for our state, you know, for the nation and, and for the globe as well. And so I, I think we're going to be taking our existing programs and just trying to, to do more, do better, do faster so that we can be meeting those sustainability goals. And we're or particularly um, at this episode highlighting kind of water quality issues. So can you tell me just what some of those kind of water quality concerns at the airport have been? Yeah. So as I mentioned, you know, we are a very large facility. So there's a whole subset of issues associated with water conservation. Um, we are really excited that we're getting ready to kick off um, a pretty deep energy and water retrofit program um, that we hope that by the time it gets um, fully implemented, we'll have the opportunity to reduce water use across our facility by you know, maybe 25 to 30%, really by focusing on the restrooms um, that we have at the airport. Um, but then there's a whole nother set of issues associated with water quality. And again, you know, I mentioned the 53 square miles, and I'm probably going to keep coming back to that because it's so important to the work that we do. Um, but being an um, airport operation with you know, fueling, with aircraft de-icing, um, we are really focused on those particular airport operations and making sure that we both have plans in place to um, prevent pollution at the source but also that when we are ready for um, if an incident were to occur to respond to it as thoroughly as we need to. And so just thinking about something like aircraft de-icing, it's a really interesting process because, you know, for most of us who are passengers on aircraft, you know, maybe you go to a de-icing pad and you see the aircraft being um, de-iced, but you don't really think much about the process beyond that. Um, and the way that airlines de-ice aircraft um, is with 
uh, a product that's called aircraft de-icing fluid. And the primary chemical within aircraft de-icing fluid is called propylene glycol. And propylene glycol is not in and of itself um, a toxic substance, but it does have a high biochemical oxygen demand, which means that when it gets into the environment, um, it uses a lot of oxygen to degrade, which has negative impacts on aquatic life, fish, things like that. And so we have been really focused since the opening of Denver International Airport on reducing um, the amount of aircraft de-icing fluid and propylene glycol that gets into the environment. And over the course of time, we've developed a really robust stormwater operation that allows us to collect more than 70% of the aircraft de-icing fluid that is sprayed um, on those aircraft as they're departing. And the really exciting thing about our operation is that in addition to collecting such a significant percentage of aircraft de-icing fluid, we also have a on-site glycol recycling facility that through um, a, a number of different processes, but primarily um, a, a distillation system, allows us to recycle that glycol on-site and send it out into other industrial uses. And as we move into 2021 and 2022, we're actually looking forward to, make, to making that a closed loop system that will allow us to recycle that glycol on site and be able to remanufacture it back into aircraft de-icing fluid so that it can be used um, right back on the aircraft. So can you dig a little deeper into your, your glycol recovery system? How long um, kind of has this been in the works and, and what has um, kind of gone into the entire process of uh, getting this up and running? So we have had a uh, glycol, an on-site glycol recycling, glycol recovery plant um, at Denver International Airport um, since the airport opened back in 1995. Um, and the, the system has looked um, pretty similar over the course of those past 26 years. But as I was mentioning, um, the real nut that we have been trying to crack for the last you know, maybe four or five years, is how can we take a good environmental story in terms of our ability to collect um, the propylene glycol and the aircraft de-icing fluid and keep it out of the environment to an even better environmental story where we can create this kind of closed loop system. And so once we get this system built, um, it, it's really going to be a great triple bottom line sustainability win because we are going to be able to um, both increase our operational reliability by virtue of the fact that um, you know, now some percentage of the glycol that is being used on aircraft can be generated on the site rather than having to be trucked or railed in from other parts of the United States. Um, we have the potential to reduce costs by virtue of the fact that you're going to have this um, raw product to be able to create aircraft de-icing fluid from and not have um, all of those costs associated with trans transportation. And of course, there's going to be a real significant environmental benefit because you're not going to have the emissions associated with that transportation. And so um, we're really excited about this project. Um, stormwater collection and glycol recovery have long been one of the areas in which um, Denver International Airport has been a real national and international leader. And we're really excited about this opportunity to, to make that story even better. And I, I want to turn back to to the the water retrofit program you mentioned earlier um, with your restrooms and such. Um, can you go into a little bit more detail about that? What what that will entail and kind of what the timeline is for it? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I, I would say that most airports um, restroom water use is one of our most significant water uses. Um, ultimately, um, 
there's a lot of people going through our facilities and, you know, everybody's been on an airplane and, um, you know, knows that one of the first things that most people do when they get off the airplane is to try to find a restroom. And so we've really been focused on that area to figure out how we can reduce um, the water use. And so this program specifically is really going to be focused on the, um, the valves associated with the water fixtures in our restrooms. Um, and by doing a robust energy and water audit, we realized that there were some real opportunities there. And so for honestly a, a relatively low cost and a really good payback, we're going to be able to replace or adjust those um, water fixture valves in such a way that, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we think we're going to be able to reduce water use across the facility by maybe 25 or 30 percent. And so when you think about a facility of our size, um, you know, we are talking about, you know, potentially uh, hundreds of millions of gallons of water on an annual basis. And taking a, a step back again to these these new initiatives, um, you know, what else are you are you starting to tackle? Um, what are some other challenges you're taking on? Yeah, so I think the the biggest focus right now is going to be on the existing facility. Um, you know, I mentioned the water part of that project, but we're also doing um, some really in depth audits of our energy use within the existing facility. And so we're going to be kicking off a project that we think, again, has the potential to reduce energy use by maybe 20% across the existing facility through a combination of um, LED lighting, um, heating and cooling improvements, um, and some other more mechanical system type upgrades. And with the facilities um, as large as ours are, you know, we have the potential to save three or four million dollars each year um, just in utility costs along, alone by virtue of taking these steps. Um, one of the other areas that we're really excited about is solar. I think that's another area where we've long been known as a leader. We're, we're really lucky in Colorado to have a great solar resource. Um, and we also have some great partners that have allowed us to do a variety of different solar projects across a variety of different business models really cost effectively. Um, and we're looking to um, to push that program forward with some new um, power purchase agreements over the course of the next year and a half as well. And you, you just touched on some of them right there, but you know, looking looking long term here, um, do you have any any even farther out environmental goals and what you've laid down now? Anything kind of on the horizon you can share? Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, we are a municipally owned airport, so we are part of the city and county of Denver. Um, we are really lucky to have a mayor in Michael Hancock um, and an administration and a city council that is really committed to sustainability across uh, across the city. And so um, the city itself has a number of um, sustainability goals, you know, including a greenhouse gas emissions goal that is in alignment with the IPCC um, goals that have been laid out over the course of the last several years. And so we are generally in support of those citywide goals. But on an airport-specific basis, you know, we are really excited about this idea of science-based targets, especially from a greenhouse gas emissions reduction perspective. Um, and it's long been something that um, we have been trying to push, you know, getting away from this idea that sometimes happens within the sustainability community of trying to find a big round number by a big round year and have that be 
um, your sustainability goal. We are really trying to focus on context-based solutions and make sure that as part of the global community as an international airport, that we are doing our part. And so we're also interested in the potential of you know, setting a, a science-based target just for Denver International Airport so that we can say definitively that we are doing our part in support of achieving the greenhouse gas emissions reductions that are going to be necessary to avert the worst possible impacts of, of climate change. And what are some of the other um, kind of approaches you take to crafting these plans outside of the, the IPPC goals and, and your own kind of scientific measurements? Um, you know, what are, are you taking any other advice from other groups or, or working with um, any other kind of third party organizations? Yeah, it's actually a really exciting time to be doing airport sustainability. Um, we have a really great airport sustainability community um, in a number of different industry groups um, that create opportunities to, to bring us all together to, to share best practices, you know, share successes, you know, also, you know, equally importantly, you know, share challenges when we have them. Um, and I think through that work, we've developed really great relationships with sustainability staff at virtually all of the other major hub airports within the United States and, you know, even in some other countries as well. Um, and I think it, it creates a really supportive environment for us to be pushing each other, challenging each other, you know, sometimes competing with each other to make sure that we're all doing all that we can um, to develop our sustainability programs as much as we can. One of the really exciting opportunities that we have in Denver that I think is maybe a little bit unique is that so many other airports are um, landlocked. Um, they're in major urban environments and they just don't have the ability to, to grow. And Denver International Airport is a little bit unique because when it was master planned back 25, 30 years ago, it was an airport that was developed with growth in mind. Um, so right now we have a, a, a new CEO named Phil Washington who is really committed to sustainability and has really pushed us to see what we need to do to be one of the most sustainable airports in the world. Um, and we're trying to um, package all of these improvements around the concept of Vision 100. And so what that means is that we're going to be transitioning from, as I mentioned earlier, uh, 69 million passengers in 2019 to potentially up to 100 million passengers coming through our facility each year. And so the big point that I try to make there is that we have a responsibility with that growth to do it in such a way that we're able to decouple our growth from the environmental impacts. And so right now we are undertaking a 39 gate expansion of our concourses and 39 gates is the size of a mid-sized airport in the United States already. So, you know, we like to talk about the fact that we're building a mid-sized airport on top of our existing airport. And so we are so focused when um, we do large construction projects like that to make sure that we're focused on water efficiency, we're focused on energy efficiency, we're focused on renewable energy. And I'm really excited that all four of those sub-projects as part of our 39-gate expansion are going to be certified to the lead gold level. And so we're able to look to those kinds of um, national and international standards to make sure that we are um, achieving the goals that we've laid out. 
And Scott, on the flip side of this, what have some of the the challenges been, um, you know, with addressing these concerns and, and all the different work you have going on? Um, and how have you you overcome these challenges? Yes, it, it's a really important question, especially, you know, still dealing with the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, I mentioned a couple of times already the great support that we get from Mayor Hancock's office, from City Council, from the DEN executive team. Um, but the reality is that we've had a really challenging year. Um, our passenger counts dropped from 69 million in 2019 down to, I believe, 27 million in 2020. And when you're in airport, um, a reduction in passengers, a reduction in parking, a reduction in concessions activity, you know, means a reduction in revenue. And so we've had to be really smart about how we have continued to move our sustainability programs forward in that revenue constrained environment. And so the big focus that I've had over the course of the last year is how can we keep everything moving forward without um, creating additional financial liabilities. And so, you know, some of the ways we do that are through, you know, finding alternative and innovative business models to pursue our sustainability goals. So I talked about solar a bit earlier. You know, our primary vehicle for doing solar projects at the airport is a power purchase agreement because then, you know, we're pushing the operational risk, we're pushing the financial risk to solar developers who both have the opportunity and the skill in developing new solar projects, but they also have the tax appetite that we don't have as a public sector entity to take advantage of um, the tax incentives associated with solar. And so through a power purchase agreement, um, the developer is responsible for um, designing, building, operating, maintaining those systems, and the airport is put in the position of purchasing the solar electricity that those systems generate. And so when we're able to do that in a cost-effective manner, it doesn't require a large capital contribution and allows us in most cases to actually spend less on a per kilowatt hour basis than we would to purchase electricity from the grid. You know, similarly from the energy and water retrofit project that I mentioned earlier, um, we are trying to do that in such a way that we're working with a private partner that will allow us to build those systems and actually pay off the project on an annual basis using the savings that those projects are generating. So again, from an annual basis, it's going to be cost neutral for us. And we're looking for opportunities like that that allow us to achieve our sustainability goals um, without requiring you know, competition with other you know, really important capital needs like um, the airfield, um, the airport growth that I just mentioned. Taking a step back and, and looking at it kind of big picture, there we touched on this idea at the very beginning of our conversation about the airport as part of its local community. So, so what role you know does an airport play, or or should an airport play with its local climate and ecosystem? Yeah, it, it, it's really important because you know there's this concept within the airport community of a social license to operate that we have a real specific responsibility to our community to be operating in such a way that both our community can be proud of us, um, but that we're also um, maximizing the benefits for that community. And so back in 2017, we created a new sustainability policy that was entirely focused on this idea. And I'll just read you the, the um, policy statement itself that says, DEN is committed to strategically considering the long-term economic, social, and environmental impacts of all airport activities 
to maximize long-term benefits and ensure that our success strengthens our community stakeholders. And that is um, at the forefront of everything that we do. We are focused on making sure that, you know, our success is both supporting the airport, um, supporting the community generally, um, but also for being, you know, thoughtful in a social sustainability context and making sure that, you know, we are working with local partners. We are taking advantage of the intellectual capital within Colorado. We are working with minority and women-owned businesses to make sure that um, our success is not just felt by those that are directly working with us, but it really is felt across the community as a whole. And last question I have for you, Scott. Um, you know, what advice do you have for our listeners, the, the other airports out there, um, about uh, tackling their own environmental concerns? How can they craft their own initiatives and kind of get them off the ground? I think the biggest advice that I could provide is just to know your community, know your airport situation, and to develop a sustainability program that is relevant to all of those stakeholders. And I'll give you one example of that. Um, uh, Colorado, um, for all of the sustainability successes that we have had as a state, um, our ability to be diverting waste from the landfill is not as strong as some other regions of the country are. And that's for a variety of, of different reasons, including just um, recycling and composting markets that have um, been a little slower to build up over time. Um, the fact that we have um, much more low-cost landfill space than um, some other parts of the airport, uh, some other parts of the country do. So perhaps um, the, the economic drivers of waste diversion are not the same that they are in some um, other parts of the country. But we still believe as an airport that waste diversion is critically important. And so we have a robust recycling program. We have a robust um, composting program. But we're also looking for opportunities to take advantage of our unique opportunities to be driving social sustainability as well. And so one of the programs that I'm most um, proud of that we have been able to implement is a food donation program in which we have put coolers out on each one of our concourses as well as within our main terminal that gives our concessions, flight kitchens, other business partners, the opportunity to, um, to store unused or um, unneeded food that we have a relationship with a great nonprofit partner that they come and they collect that donated food and they send it to um, food insecure families within the Denver region. And so the opportunity to do something like that, which was directly tied to what was originally maybe a perceived weakness, but caused us to think more strategically, more comprehensively about what we could do. And we came up with this great program that, again, you know, we think of one as, as being one of the best triple bottom, uh, triple bottom line success stories that we have. And so I would just encourage other airports, really other organizations, to think about those terms. How do you think about the role within your community? How can you think about your strengths and weaknesses and use that to create a sustainability program that is really going to be resonant with your local community stakeholders? Now here's part of my conversation with Rosa Gwynn, Global PFAS Technical Leader for AECOM from episode 40 of the Aviation Pros podcast, The PFAS Problem. 
Rosa, Scott, thank you again for taking the time this morning to chat with me. I think the best way to kick off our conversation is if you could just give our audience kind of an overview of the PFAS, a kind of group of chemicals, uh, what they are and why they've gotten so much attention in the past couple of years. Sure. Thanks for the opportunity to talk with you. This is Rosa Gwynn. I'm with AECOM and, and I've been working on what you called PFAS, but all the cool kids call PFAS. Um, for a number of years. And so PFAS is an acronym or an abbreviation, and it stands for PER and polyfluoroalkyl substances. And that certainly sounds like a mouthful, but but really it's easy to, to visualize. Go back to your high school chemistry. If you have a bunch of carbon atoms connected together and things like sugars and other natural organic compounds, that's pretty common. And what's unique about PFAS is that some or all of those uh, parts of the carbon chain uh, are connected to fluorine atoms. In normal circumstances, let's say those would be hydrogen atoms, but fluorine is has been pushed onto these carbons. What does that mean? It means you've got a chain of carbons with these fluorines on it, and those bonds don't like to be broken. So it creates a super stable compound, super stable, because the chlorine, I'm sorry, the carbon-fluorine bond is one of the strongest covalent bonds in nature. And so these compounds were developed uh, initially in the 1940s. They're all synthetic. None of them occur in nature. And they, because of this strong bond, they had these great characteristics. They're very resistant to thermal degradation, and they're not sticky. Things don't stick to them. Why? Well, because the compounds are satisfied chemically. So one of the most well-known PFAS compounds is Teflon, uh, but there are actually thousands and thousands, many thousands of these synthetic compounds uh, that have been generated for industrial use. So that's what PFAS are, and, um, and we use them in a whole bunch of industrial applications, and as a consequence, we have them all around us on the planet. So that's what PFAS are. And then what exactly is the danger or concern with them? Yeah, so because of this incredible stability, especially for what is called the perfluorinated compounds, they have a characteristic, uh, I mentioned earlier that they resist thermal and chemical and biological degradation, but that very characteristic uh, creates a problem when PFAS are released into the environment, let's say through air emissions or uh, being discarded from their original use. And that characteristic is that they're persistent and and they are bioaccumulative, meaning once they're out there and if like the little tiny fish ingests a PFAS compound and the next fish uh, ingests the PFAS compound, that up the food chain, like you learned in elementary school, those, those are building up. They are bioaccumulating. And here's the real kicker. Some of the PFAS are not very good for human beings, and they're also not good for some animals. 
And we don't know a lot. You know, I mentioned that there are thousands of these compounds. And in, a, in order to understand their toxicity, uh, we do testing of each compound. So we only know about a handful. But what we see is not, not very good. Um, so they're persistent, they're bioaccumulative, and they're toxic at low concentrations. The result of them having been entered into the environment over a long period of time means that they're kind of everywhere. I cringe when I say that because they're not everywhere. You can take lots of samples that don't contain PFAS at detectable levels, but they have appeared in places on the planet where they shouldn't be. One example is a study done in the 2000s uh, where PFAS were identified in polar bear blood. Well, I mentioned this bioaccumulation, and again, remembering back to your elementary school training about the food pyramid and top of the food chain, most polar bears are top predators, and as a consequence, they have been exposed through the entire food chain to some PFAS that has entered into the ocean and fish and so on, seals, et cetera. So the danger is that they're toxic, and the danger is that they're appearing where they shouldn't be. And then when we turn to the aviation industry specifically, where have these PFAS chemicals been um, commonly used and kind of who or where has been put most at risk by them? Very good question. So PFAS are closely linked to aviation. And the reason is that this great compound characteristic made a certain PFAS very valuable as an addition uh, into firefighting foam. A link to the rest of this episode, along with all previous episodes of our environmental series, as well as the entire library of over 60 Aviation Pros podcasts can be found in the show notes or on our website at aviationpros.com.